Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you from a very windy day in Raleigh. Incredibly windy. We had to move inside. Had a, It's mid-60s and sunny in Raleigh. I'm sitting on a patio at a Starbucks. Couldn't be a better spot to record this week's show. But we had to move inside into a sterile boardroom because Russo was worried about the... He said, well, it's so windy. We looked out the window. There's not a tree leaf even moving. It was very gusty. Um, <laughs> it just comes out of nowhere. Um, I didn't I, I, like so. Th- I did a podcast with Joe Smith yesterday, and Joe is in South in Western Florida, and people were complaining that they could hear like the parakeets in the background, like the the birds chirping. Parakeets and I, can be really I know that. annoying. I just like these mics, they pick up everything. So I just felt, figured we'd do people a solid and try to make it as not a lot of distractions and a lot of wind gusting into the mics. Right. At some point, that flag down the street from our hotel in yeah. Raleigh is going to move. It's it's going to move. It's going to happen. In fact, I had a productive morning in that I went to get a haircut and incidentally ran into Marcus Felino in the barbershop and just said, can you just make me look like him? And I figure they should be able to do that. How tough is that? Yeah. But when I walk, my hair hasn't moved yet since walking out of the barbershop. So we'll see if the wind ever picks up. It is a good haircut. Um, but that's another reason. I didn't want to be like, like you know, it's a day off for the team. They're going to be walking around board. We just saw Reeves, Kaprizov, and Dumba going for a walk. It's like if we were at Starbucks just sitting on the patio, it would be like we're on stage. We could have had guests. Yeah, that's true. Hey, let's come on in. Let's yeah, see what on, you think. Yeah. Um, come on over. And actually, that would have been great. We could have had them break down recent television coverage, goal calls, articles that have been written, and they love get some of their thoughts. Like they read me. Um, okay, so Wild have won three in a row after last night's 4-2 win in Washington. Um, they have points in seven of the last eight games, 6-2-1 uh, and one in the last nine on the road. Uh, did not start well last night. That's for absolute certain. Um, but man, did they? Uh, it was like it, the Erickson Eck line and uh, with Greenway, and at one point Reeves really to me had a shift that churned the momentum, and then and then obviously the Eck line. Then when Felino was out there with them, I thought the Greenway and Erickson Eck were outstanding last night. Um, Anthony, it really just felt like it turned the game around in the Wild. It became a much better team in there. I thought it was a game-changing shift. I was a little surprised that Dean Emerson didn't he didn't follow up on that during the post-game press yeah, conference. Yeah, I asked because, about it, and it didn't seem like he... No, and I thought it was an obvious shift. Yeah. The game had been one side of the other direction all through the first period. The Wild scored early in the second, but then Washington reasserted control. And about halfway through the second period, those guys had a shift that was then followed up by a good shift by the fourth line. Then it was then the first line draws a penalty. And when the fourth line was on the ice, they of course scored the Spurgeon goal. So it was, I thought it was a game changing shift and you know, maybe they all kind of ran together at that point for Dean, but I was surprised to me, it seemed like a, it was a stark contrast from that shift on. And he didn't seem to, to value the single shift quite as yeah. much as, as you or and, I did. And, and but I, I, I thought the Eck line was the best line on the ice all night. I thought they, they were the one line that started well. They were the only line that had any offensive zone possession time in the first period. And I thought they were terrific last night. They looked a little bit more like they had looked all of last year yeah. than what we've seen recently. 
Greenway looked as motivated as I thought he would look last week when we talked about it on the last podcast. You know, um, you know, the one thing that I think that sometimes I don't appreciate is is just how hectic and chaotic it can sometimes get behind the bench. And a lot of coaches really do need to almost look at the tape to refresh their memory or to see things that maybe they missed during the game as they're trying to, you know, get the next line up and deal with adjustments and things like that. So maybe that explains where, you know, Dean definitely didn't seem to be picking up on uh, my question about uh about the 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 shift by the Eric's neck line that to me was an it was an obvious game changing one it was a game changer but i think if you look at last night's game it might be i'd have to go back and think about it i hadn't thought about it until this moment but i think it might be the first game that you would truly say a wild goaltender stole a game for him Last night, the high danger chances at five on five, I believe, or at all strengths, were 21 to five for Washington. And I don't know if you ever look at that, the money puck simulator, the deserved to win meter. Do you ever look at yeah, that? Yeah. And the, the deserved to win meter last night was 94 to six for yeah. Washington. Yeah. And yet Minnesota won the game. Yeah. And so if it wasn't the first game that a wild goaltender truly stole, it was the the most defiant steal of the season. It, it was, I thought Gustafson was really good. I thought, and it was more that Minnesota generated almost nothing. So if Gustafson was even just okay, it wouldn't have been enough to win that game last night. I thought he was terrific. It might've been the best game he's played. And against a Caps team that's been playing pretty good hockey lately. I know that they had lost to Philadelphia over the weekend, but it, it just, I thought last night was the, the most one-sided against the Wild a game was that the Wild won this season. Yeah, I mean, Dean volunteered in the post game that Freddie Shabbat charted the Wild scoring chances at five or six for the entire game, which uh, I think just shows you that, I mean, even some of the goals wouldn't be considered scoring chances if they didn't go in. Um, you know, three goals, three screens. In the first period, I can't even think of one scoring chance. Uh, Zuccarello did have one coming through the slot. That Lindgren had a kick out, but that one is a routine save for most goalies. So um, not a great game by the Wild, but they figured out another way to win, and they do this all the time now. I mean, that's the one thing about this team, and maybe that'll make what the playoffs different, right? Last year they were dominant and entertaining and all these come-from-behind victories, and and this year they're, they've been better structured and they're figuring out ways to win maybe games that they're not at their best, and maybe that will help them in the post. Well, and what's interesting, we talked about this last night on the broadcast, that Last year, all the talk was their miracle finishes with the extra attacker. This year, they've been as efficient as any team in the league when the other team has the goaltender pulled. So this year, it's been delivering knockout punches instead of coming up with these miracle come-from-behind wins, and maybe that is more sustainable. But in the last 10 games where the opponent has pulled the goaltender, the Wild have scored an empty net goal nine times. So it isn't even just hang on and find a way to weather the storm, they've put them away. Nine out of ten, that's incredible. And for the season, they've outscored their opponents 12-1 to 1 in those spots. They've only allowed one empty net goal all season, one extra attacker goal all season. So it, I just think they've done a great job of, of settling things down. And when you start to look at it now, that the way they played and the loose fashion in which they were playing early in the season is such a distant memory. You're talking about a team that's now in the top 10 in goals against, and they seem to be doing it on a night-in, night-out basis. Every once in a while, there's been that little three-game or so blip, and they had it when they were when they won the shootout in Dallas, but then lost in both Calgary and Edmonton. The game was getting a little loose. They tightened it down and won in a shutout in Vancouver and all of a sudden go on their rip of nine wins in 11 games. 
Then they have the little three-game bump where they get beaten overtime or they give up way too much in Buffalo. They, they lose the home game against St. Louis. They give up way too many chances against the Rangers in New York. And then two nights later, they're back in lockdown mode. And these last three games have looked very similar. The win in New York against the Islanders, the win at home against the Coyotes, and the win in Washington. Maybe not the wide-open, high-skilled, sexy highlight real plays, but just efficient, lockdown, structured defensively, limit chances and and win games. There was one sexy highlight reel play last night, and that was Jonas Perdine. I mean, that was just yeah, beautiful. Was I mean, that was like the old Pierre-Marc Bouchard do the 360 around the zone. Like Kirill Caprice. Yeah, and uh, and the difference there with Brodine, you know, the Bouchard would usually pass it off, and Brodine just snapped it home, uh, bar down. What was interesting is during our little conversation with Dean Evison after the media scrum in the morning yesterday, and I feel comfortable sharing this because we talked about it on the air last night, but I asked Dean about Brodeen's game because I thought it's been really good for about the last six or seven games. And the way he described it was, we love when the puck is on his stick. And when he's aggressive, he's at his best. And I know he was referring to the defensive zone, holding the puck on his stick and being willing to be aggressive and make plays with it, the one-man breakout type plays. And then this play happens last night, and Ryan Carter and I kind of laughed and said, I know that what Dean meant was keep the puck on your stick in your own zone, but a one-man breakout turned into a one-man forecheck, one-man domination, one-man cycle, and a goal. And he's such an elite skater that he's capable of those kind of plays, but he just plays the game the same way all the time and, and seems reluctant to be that aggressive and that assertive in the offensive zone. But he showed last night that when he is, he can be a special player. Yeah, and, um, you know, he was the one guy in the first period that I thought came to play. Uh, I thought Brodine was really, really good in the first period. Um, you know, like everybody else, he was, you know, sometimes chasing the game. But <clears throat> defensively, he was just outstanding, make great plays out of the zone and things like that. Um, we've buried the lead to this podcast, uh, Matt Boldy, um, seven years, $49 million deal. We've been talking uh, lately that it was getting close. I think the Wild thought it was going to be a bridge deal the entire time. That was every indication they were getting. And then Brian Bartlett, uh, one of his agents, uh, the lead agent of the, the Bartlett agency, uh, came to Minnesota last weekend, um, went to the game, met with Bill Guerin during, in the suite, then had breakfast with Bill Guerin the next day. Sure, Chris Erhern was part of this as well, and and that's when they really started, you know, ironing down like, hey, you know, can we try to do long term? But Bridge is most likely going to be, and I think when they realize that they can get him in that seven million dollar range on the low sevens, seven on the on the button, I think that it was one of those things where they just said, you know what, uh, let's just deal with the repercussions now on how they're going to have to adjust. But if Matt Boldy continues on this ascension, this trajectory that he's on, that you know, in two, three, four years, he's gonna uh, he's gonna be you know much more expensive player when the cap goes up and he he's producing. So you overpay him in the short term, but the the bet the bet by the wild is that this is gonna be a steal of a contract. Yeah, and I don't even know that I'd say it's overpaid now. It's just more than you would have had to pay on a bridge deal. If you look at what he brings to the table every night, he's probably not that far from a seven million dollar player right now. He's averaging about 0.7 points per game over his career. We showed a graphic last night in the broadcast that of all players drafted since 2019, so guys his age or younger, 
there's only two players who are averaging more points per game, and that's Matty Beneers and Jack Hughes. So out of all the guys from those four drafts, he's right there with them. And, and I agree with you. I think by the time we're in year two or three of this contract, we're going to be talking about that it's a tremendous team-friendly deal. But what I think is interesting about it, and I've, I've been reading some of the comments from people like, why in the world would he accept this when if he waits three years, he could have gotten $9 million a year or $10 million a year or whatever? Well, I think there's a couple things you have to remember is, number one, you don't know for certain what the next three years are going to bring. And what if, for whatever reason, his production went down? What if there was some kind of an injury? All of those things are possible. And then the second thing is, by signing this deal right now, he's going to be 28 when he's a free agent again. That He might be able to get another seven-year deal, where if you sign a three-year bridge deal and then you sign your seven-year deal, now when you're at free agency again, you're talking about a guy who's 32, somewhere in that neighborhood, and now you're probably looking at more of a back end of your career, four or five-year mid-range deal. He might get two monster seven-year contracts out of this by signing this one. And yes, he gives away a little bit of the dollars per year, let's say years four, five, six, seven of this contract. But I think in the long term, you're probably talking about a guy who will end up making more money because he was willing to sign for seven now than if you had, let's say you signed three by three, then seven by 10. And now at the end, you're looking at, you know, a four or five year contract, probably at best. The problem, you know, now obviously is they're going to have to figure out ways to create a little more space this, this off season, which can be done. But it's going to lead to players that they probably never envisioned that they would have to move uh, moving. I mean, it's, it's that simple. You just the, the math doesn't work here. Like you look at the the free agents that the Wild have going into this offseason. Now, we know Matt Dumba is leaving, whether he's traded or they just cut him loose. Um, I wrote about that today, and uh, he really cut open a vein a little bit today as well. So hopefully everybody reads that story. Um, you have Ryan Reeves, who, again, probably no room for him unless he's taking a league minimum type deal. They're going to give Goudreau a contract as long as he takes a team-friendly deal. I'll, Ryan Hartman is willing to, to you know, not break the bank. Um, but then you have these RFAs, you know, really interesting ones. Philip Gustafson has got to be the next priority, one would assume. Kaylin Addison, Mason Shaw, Brandon Duham, Sam Steele. Not guys that are going to break your bank, but when you look in the wild uh, right now, have $9.3 million in available cap space, and we know that's really about $1.5 million, $2 million less because all teams want to leave themselves a cushion, they're going to probably have to make some trades. Um, I think you and I both think there's a chance Jordan Greenway is one of those guys. Um, you know, you could sign Duham for maybe half price. Um, you know, what else do you see happening here? Because it is, it's, it's just, a, you know, maybe Goligoski, maybe not now, but maybe the summer moves get $2 million in space. Yeah, well, we've talked about this on several shows. I don't really spend much yeah. time thinking about what's going to happen in the offseason, but I do think it makes this year's up to the trade deadline perhaps a little more interesting because, uh, only because of some players that are under contract beyond this year. I agree with you. I've thought all along that the odds of, of Matt Dumba finishing the season here are probably less than 50-50. I don't know that that has changed anything with this because it really doesn't affect this year. But now all of a sudden some guys that do have term left on their contract or guys that are spots where you would have had some degree of team control beyond this year might now be on the table. And 
I don't really know, and I, I don't. I, I mean it sincerely, and I'm not just trying to deflect. I don't even like to think about what's going to happen when you get to the off season. That's the general manager's job, and and I'd rather talk to him about it after he makes the moves. And I know your job is that you have to work these sources and think more about these kind of situations, and you want to be the guy that beats the Twitter world by 35 seconds to have the answer right, and I'm not saying that to poke fun at you a little bit, but not really. I'm just saying that, like, I... I I look at it more from, is this a good contract for the team and for Boldy? Yes, there's no question about it. And now you figure it out, the rest of it. And and I still think that, well, Minnesota is going to be competitive here this year. And certainly, I think a team that is going to be difficult to beat in the playoffs, I think the next couple of years, same kind of thing. But I really feel like it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at it and say, when you have to be $12 million under the cap this year and 14 the next two years, you're, it's going to be difficult to compete with the other elite teams in the league yeah. in terms of hoisting a Stanley Cup at the end of the season. Yeah. And maybe the realistic time where that's, a, where that's a realistic goal comes when these buyouts are done. Isn't it amazing that the Wild are playing with you know pretty much one hand tied behind their back right now? They have a, a, a salary cap world that they're living in right now that is 12.7 less than everybody else, and yet they are right there comfortably – uh, playing yeah, just you know, think about what you have how much better you have to be at managing what you have than everybody else it's yeah. small market in baseball compared to the big yeah. markets it's the twins compared to the Mets the twins compared to the Dodgers and but in hockey nobody else has to do that and I say that knowing that the wild brought this on themselves and it was the right call they're a better team because of it without a doubt they would not be a contender had they not made these buyout decisions right now it's not a contender they would not be as good as they are right now but yeah they've got to now you got to try to find a way to manage your money and manage your roster better than everybody else yep and next year what 14-7 the year after 14-7 as well so i i mean it really is a, you know for where this season started and where they were even at thanksgiving for them to be in the position that they're in now winning games peeling off points um spending 13 million essentially less than everybody else it's pretty uh impressive um, you know, Greenway is the one. I mean, last night, you know, that's what's so frustrating about Mar about Jordan sometimes is that he just, you know, last night, like, why can't he bring that every night? Like, he is, when he wants to be, he is a dominant player. And last night, he was he was one of the best players on the ice, especially in the second period. He 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 brought so much to that line with his speed and his physicality that you just wish that he had that consistency on an every night basis. It's been the battle for him from the start of his mm -hmm. career is the consistency part. And there are flashes where he looks like a guy that would be a handful. And I don't think he has to produce major offensive numbers to be an impact, impactful mm -hmm. player, but he has to produce more than he's produced this year. You can't, you just, you can't live with a guy in that role that is scoring as little as he's scoring. I mean, it was kind of like what we talked about with Marco Rossi was the game didn't look terrible the game was actually responsible it was mildly effective but the bottom line is if you're going to be in that spot in the lineup yeah, you have point. to produce points and with Greenway it's we talked last year right about the time he was about to take off and I remember saying I love the way his that he's playing the game right now he just isn't scoring this year it hasn't looked quite the same and and that line hasn't been quite as good they've been good last year they were the best in the league at what they do 
This year, they haven't been the best. They've been in the upper tier, but I still think we haven't seen that line at its best. And if we don't see it soon, I do think there's a pretty good shot that that might be one of the, the pieces involved in a potential trade here. You know, by the way, we wasn't really the only extension that happened this week. Yeah, yeah, it really, really, really buried the lead. Um, really exciting uh, news to announce. Uh, the what, fourth or fifth? This will be the fifth. The fifth Lepanta, and sixth for me, the fifth Lepanta Russo trip to Europe is coming this uh, summer, and we're going to our roots, Anthony. Uh, you're Sicilian, I'm Sicilian. Um, we're going to Sicily. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll see a lot of you out there because I know that there's a lot of the regulars that come on these trips are going to be uh, coming uh, a, a ton, uh, coming on this trip as well. And it's just going to be an absolute blast. And if you want to get your dream home, sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no show showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's the easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed offer cash would be, there's no obligation. Just go to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Again, that's chrislindahl.com or uh, call 7634-401-SOLD. You can close with confidence and start packing, and terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. If you're looking for a great place to go watch a game, check out Moe's Ice House. It's at Fogarty Arena overlooking the Four Seasons Curling Rink. They just changed their menu a bit, so they've got some great options for you, but it's a perfect place to watch games. Check out their pizzas. I had some friends who went up there to watch a game recently who raved about their pizzas. I know they've got good wings as well. I'm a big fan of the pastrami sandwich, but there are several on the menu, so you got to go check it out. Whether you're up there for a game or up there to watch a game, up there to do some curling for a little bonspiel, you might be able to drag Russo out there for a bonspiel, see if he can get out of the curling hack and release no. a stone. You don't think so? Don't think well, so. Well, anyway, go to Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's an awesome place to watch games. Annette and John are listening to our podcast and come on these trips. They're big curlers. I know that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, you want to go to Twitter questions or what do you want to talk about? Well, we could talk a little talk bit about this trip for the Wild, which is a it's a it started with the win in Washington, but this is a really important trip, I believe. It's the middle of a stretch where six out of seven are on the road, and the two in New York already in the in the rearview mirror against two teams that definitely are contenders in the East, and then all four on this trip: Washington, Carolina, and the two Florida teams. Uh, certainly, teams that expect to be in the postseason in the Eastern Conference. Uh, a really challenging trip, and these are the kind of trips that I think test just where you are. Does your Wild have the fortune of a pretty nice schedule through December and early January, where it was a lot of teams on the back end of back-to-backs, some games at home, some non-contending teams. So now this is where you put that structure to the test, and can you stay with it against some of the best? And 
all indications are that they can and with the way they played at home against Tampa recently. But I really think after these four, we're going to have a good idea of which way this team is likely to move at the deadline. And I know Billy Guerin had his midseason address the other day and said what happens on the ice is going to dictate what we do. And and I think this is a trip that goes a long way toward that. If you come down here, have success on this swing, now all of a sudden you really put your – GMs in the past have said it. If the players prove on the ice that they're worthy of me going and selling a, a future asset to bring something in here to help them, I'll do it. I don't think Billy's likely to be trading a major future asset, but if this team has a good trip right here, it's when you start to look at who else is in the Western Conference playoff picture, you really think you're that far away from Winnipeg or Dallas or the only two teams on top of you in your division? That different from Vegas and the Pacific? I don't think so. I, I I totally agree with you. Um and that's why the the Dumba thing is, you know is intriguing to me because um you know, if there are teams calling, I think Bill has basically told them, you've got to make it make sense for us or we're not doing it. They're not just there's no reason to just give him away um, if you're not, you know, figuring out a way to make, get a suitable replacement in here. And that suitable replacement is not in the organization. It's not Kaligoski uh, in, in obviously Dean's mind and Garen's mind. I mean, he's been scratched 26 times. So they're going to have to figure out a way, whether it's in that trade or another trade. I think if Dumba is dealt, it's going to be one of those like two trades in the same day I kind agree. of thing where yep. they'll already yep. have another deal well, made that yep. brings in a defenseman to take his spot. I know everybody's talking a lot about the, the potential of an after the college season over addition of Brock Faber. And I don't doubt that he'll be here and I don't doubt that he might be in the lineup and but that's a lot to assume that you're going to have a guy be ready to make the jump from even major college hockey and an elite program and at this stage in his career and jump into a top four role in the nhl playoffs i agree he might be able to but i I don't think it's something you can assume yeah exactly i mean i think they have a lot of faith in him but i don't think that you can just say all right we're gonna you know trade dumba and just have him come in and and be the guy i think that's putting a lot of pressure on him as well um but you're you're completely right. I think it would have to be a secondary trade, you know, and maybe they use Goligoski for a week or two to get by. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's the to me the benefit of having Goligoski here. And even if Goligoski at some point is going to say to Bill, "Get me out of here, move him," you know, Bill might be like, "Sorry, bud, I love you, but we need you, and uh, you know, you're too good of a player and insurance for us to just say we're giving you, you know, doing your solid." Because the second you do that, Anthony, you know the way it works. You get two, three injuries, and right. you need. NHL defenseman. And I said from the beginning that if you don't look at the whole roster, the Alex Goligosti contract is a tremendous contract. He's a $2 million player, without mm-hmm. a doubt. It's just that with this team, it's been tough to get him into the lineup. And if there are, I would bet, I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now, it's some of the best defensive cores in the National Hockey League. Rangers. And, Rangers are right up there for mm-hmm. sure. Would Goligoski be in their top six? No. Probably not, but yeah. he'd be the, but yeah, that might be the only one. I, I can't mm-hmm. think of another team where he wouldn't be in the top six defensemen that they have. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There you aren't know, many. Yeah, I mean, Maybe Vegas, Vegas. Yep. But um, even Vegas, I'd, I'd argue that he might be, 
he might fit into their top six. I, I just think you're talking. If he was on the Canucks, he'd be playing 25 minutes a night. Right, he'd be number one. And <laughs> so when you look at this guy, I'm, he'd have some value to just about anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just I can't think of very many teams where he would be, he would still be number seven. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and I don't think here he'd be number seven if it wasn't for what Kalen Addison brings to the power play. Right. If you were just talking about defensive, you, who are your best defensemen, he's among your top six. But you need Addison in your lineup because he quarterbacks right. the power and, play. And, you know, I mean, you we, you could all debate whether he's better than Merrill or Middleton or whatever, but, you know, everybody has roles and they value the size and the the. the you know, the grittiness right, that's of what those I meant two. when I was like how he fits with the roster. Yep, absolutely. If you didn't have a defensive core that already had yep. Jared Spurgeon, Kalen Addison, even Matt Dumba's not a big guy. He plays bigger than his body. But you've got a defensive core that has a bunch of guys that are mm-hmm. basically the same size as you. Yeah. So on another team, that might not be the case. Here, it just it's the way the roster's built that it, it makes it tough. Yeah, I, uh, I I totally agree with you. Um, what do you think of the, uh, the the Hurricanes right now? Like, uh, you know, you've done a lot of prep on them already, and yeah. to me, I mean, they they especially now that Freddie's back in the lineup, I mean, they look like they could be a real contender. They could be. Here's but now let me throw this to you: goals per game, Minnesota three point one four, Carolina three point one four. Goals against Minnesota two point seven four, Carolina two point six eight. Almost identical. Power plays, Minnesota's better, 22.5 to 18.5. Penalty kill, 79.9 to 80.6. Their numbers are almost exactly the same. Here's the difference. Carolina in one-goal games is the only team in the league without a regulation loss in a one-goal game. So they're 15-0-8. They have the best points percentage in one-goal games in the league. The Wild are 9-5-4. and four. Middle of the pack. I think they're 16th or 17th. And so when you look at that, you say, wow, look at Carolina, second best points percentage in the league and and roll. But the reality is they're about the same team as the Wild. It's just that in all those one goal games, they've either won or they've been able to push it into overtime. You take Minnesota, let's say you take Minnesota's five regulation losses and even make them still losses, but make them be in overtime. And now you're 9 0 and 9 in those games. And now all of a sudden you got a team that's sitting on top of their division. Add five points and, and you're sitting with a game in hand. You're, you're arguably sitting in first place in the division. So I like Carolina a lot. And I think they're, I think they're built a little bit better for the playoffs even if you go no further than the addition of Max Pacioretty. What they were missing in the past was a true goal scorer. And they had all the puck possession in the world, good goaltending, really good defensive core, mobility. I, I like the way their team is built. But they just they had to win games every single night, 2-1 to one or 3-2, to two, and eventually there's a night where you just the puck doesn't go in. They didn't have that superstar. I think the addition of Pacioretty makes them more dangerous. But I, I just found it really interesting how similar yeah. those numbers are to Minnesota for the season. So I'll be anxious to see. I, they, we had a great game between these two clubs in St. Paul that went to a, overtime when Goligoski got the winner and really turned Minnesota's season. But I love the way they're built, and I'm, I'm excited to watch these two go head-to-head here in, in Raleigh.
Um, let's go to some Twitter questions here. Alex says, uh, I know Billy. You Garen. just don't want to talk about the rest of the trip because you don't get to go to Florida. Yeah, I know. That's true. We did stop at Raleigh. Uh, four, let's talk about you know, four nights in the in, in Fort Lauderdale. Stomping ground. Yeah, I know. It's uh, unbelievable. What are you going to do down there? Margo's coming. Margo's coming on the trip. We're going to go to Cafe Martirano, which is nice. one of my favorite spots down there. And then. Uh, we're going to go to Sardelli's. You remember the spot we went with Lou Nanny yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago? We're going there on Sunday night. It's really it, it works out so perfectly. We we just never stay in the same spot this many nights on a road on the road in the National Hockey League. We did in Montreal earlier. We did in Montreal, and that was good. <laughs> but the, that's two this season, and I bet we haven't had five in the. 12 years I've been traveling. Yeah. We had one in Manhattan where we played the two New York teams and we were there for... The only other one I was thinking that probably wasn't four days, but I think it was three, was when you were at that crazy hotel in Newport Beach. We went to Mastro's that night. Yeah, that's right. What was we that had, beautiful place? Margo was on that trip too. She was. Was that Pelican Hills? Yes, yeah. And it was... Yeah. We stayed in a little condo there. Yeah, yeah. it was... Uh, I think that was three nights. Yeah. And But it just doesn't... That's what, I think it's maybe four or five times where we've been in the same hotel yeah. for that long. And this one just happens to be on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, a couple full days off on Friday and Sunday down there. I'll probably ne be never, because of Joe now being, you know, from Tampa, I probably never cover another Panther, Tampa Bay, Lightning, Wild road games. I again. don't think that I'll be popping any champagne in Tampa yeah. when we get there this no, year. That I think was I'm going to pass a good idea. on that one. Yeah. Speaking of wind, remember we did the uh, podcast out in the uh, out in the uh, right on the water there. Yeah. After right was it before or right after your injury? It was before. I can't remember. I think it would have been before the injury. No, but Margo was there. So oh yeah, so yeah, that was so after it, for I, sure. Uh, that was when I was because the injury like, happened within yeah. an hour of her arrival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was drinking Bloody Marys and Mike Yo gave oh, us right. like a bear it was hug. the next because we had the next day yeah. off there. Yeah. yeah, Mike Yo came by. You were worried that the there were a roving gang of thugs because they were fans from Minnesota watching us do the show, and <laughs> you thought they were about to steal your equipment. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize not that you'd ever overreact to a situation. I didn't realize they were wild fans. Uh, yeah, I uh, I might have been I might have been a little paranoid. I don't know what's in those Bloody Marys. Um, but then all yeah, all of a sudden Yo shows up. And we forgot the Flyers were actually in town with the Wild down there. It's so funny. Right. Um, but that was a fun trip. And uh, But I, I will still get my Florida fix twice in the next two months. I'm actually going to the All-Star game here at the end of the month. Uh, I'm going to be covering it with uh, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic and uh, and uh, Jesse Granger and Corey Promman lives down there as well. So he'll be there. And then I'm covering the Jams meetings in West Palm Beach in mid-March as well. So I'll get to be uh, – I'll get my fix in, in – uh, in Florida, if you if you can't tell, I'm a little road weary. I'm a little tired right now. I've been on the road for this is two weeks uh, Friday uh, when I'm going home, uh, so I'm actually excited that Joe's on that. But uh, this trip that started, that, remember when we were in Buffalo? Like it feels like eons ago. That's when I first got on this road trip, right? And I had the the flight canceled. Wound up in Toronto, so this is like nine hotel rooms in twelve nights. Well, and and so think about it. From the team's been in a similar spot. We've been home for about 72 hours during that stretch yeah, twice because came home. we went home for the one game the day after the Buffalo game, played St. Louis, and I didn't. I never did the math, but we probably, because then we were back on the road by Monday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so we were probably home for 36 hours, yeah. played that game, and then we're back on a plane back to New York. We did go home and have one game with Arizona followed by an off day, so we had probably 
60 hours maybe at that. So the team yeah. hasn't been home much more than you since that yeah. game in Buffalo. Yeah, they travel a little different, though, than me. <laughs> they weren't at DCA at 5 a.m. this morning. Well, that's um, that's accurate. Yeah. All right, so Alec asks, um, I know Billy Guerin has said he's not going for rentals, but is there any rentals that would make sense to us? See, um, and I wasn't at that press conference, and I also wasn't on the conference call after Boldy. Uh, Joe handled all that, so I don't know exactly the way he said it, but I'm telling you, um, I look at it differently. I don't see much more that he could do other than Reynolds. Um, you know, just with their cap situation that we talked about, I mean, they can't add a player with a lot of term unless there's significant salary retention and a player going back the other way. That's why I keep on sort of, you know, saying that I just don't find the Besser stuff plausible because with his contract and his, his what they've got, they would have to eat half and take money back. And it's just, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I think it, it would almost have to be a rental. Yeah. And... Uh, I think it what would Billy has the, probably it, said is he doesn't want to give up a ton of assets. For right, rental. and that's that I think is also valid. That goes back to what I had said just a couple of moments ago where it's I really think as much as I'm not saying that the Wild aren't trying to win. Don't get me wrong. They, they believe this team can win, and I believe when they look at the Western Conference, they believe why not us. Mm-hmm. And and I think that he will add a piece. I'd be shocked if there wasn't a deal or two made before this deadline. But I just don't think it's going to be a what I would call a major addition to the lineup. Uh, Nick Lapointe asks, who is your ideal playoff opponent for the Wild perspective? I like how he says from the Wild perspective because he probably knew right away I was going to get awfully selfish. Right. Oh, and then he goes, well, yeah. and then from your personal perspective. So there you go. That's the only way well, I was thinking. I, mean, like, ideal I, wanna, I, wanna go, uh, I wanna go. I would love the Wild to fall into that wild card spot where they play Vegas or L.A. in the first round. Yeah, I mean, ideal playoff opponent, Anaheim. Yeah. I mean, that would be great yeah. to, because it would be a, a like series to win Winnipeg, against the Ducks. If they play like Winnipeg, but, I already told Joe he could do that. I'm going on another series. Yeah. I. You know, when you look at the teams that are realistic, possibilities in the central you could still end up conceivably with dallas Dallas. winnipeg or colorado Mm -hmm. i think any one of those three teams are possible opponents and then if you're the wild card the division winner from the pacific i don't see the kings winning that division i think the division winner will probably be vegas i don't think seattle can win the division that'd be kind of fun i still think i still i have been shocked this year i thought calgary was going to be the team to beat in the Pacific this year. I thought we'd end up with Calgary, Vegas, and then L.A. Edmonton battling for the third playoff spot in that division. I thought Seattle would be better, but never saw this coming. So I still think Calgary's got a shot to put to string something together in the second half and, and potentially win that division. So then if you're talking about those three in the Central and maybe Vegas, Calgary in the Pacific, in terms of from the team perspective – they probably match up the best with Winnipeg out of mm-hmm. all those teams. I don't think they match up poorly with Dallas, although those games have been adventurous. And I think they match up well with any of those Pacific teams, Vegas or Calgary. And so I, I really think that's why I think when you look at the West right now, even if you're looking at a wild team saying their best years and their best poise to make a deep run three years from now when the buyouts are done, this might be a year where a run by just about anybody's possible. Colorado doesn't look as dominant as they were a year ago, and I know they haven't been healthy yet, but it's hard to imagine that all of a sudden just injecting Landeskog back in their lineup is going to make them rip off 12 wins in a row. I, I just They don't look quite the same as they did a year they ago. They certainly don't. 
And it still might be the best team in the West, but it's not by the margin that it was a year ago. I joked on Twitter the other day that you know they're going to miss the playoffs and get Bedard. <laughs> they always seem to do it, right? They get figure out a way to get McKinnon or McCarr or Landeskog or, or Rantanen or whatever. Uh, here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Anytime that you are entertaining or cooking dinner at home, you got to start with the best ingredients and the only place to go for that is Kowalski's. But well, we had a, a dinner party recently and I walked in there, I was going to pick up some halibut, which the halibut didn't disappoint. It was terrific. But I just walked by the meat counter and every time I do it, you end up with something. And I walked by and the steaks looked so good. We've talked about them before. They have these, the 40-day USDA prime cuts that are terrific, but I still always go back to the Akaushi as my favorite. We grabbed these Akaushi New York strip steaks, little red wine reduction sauce over the top, and they were right up there with some of the better steaks I've had. So if you are having a great dinner, having great guests, you got to make sure you start with the best ingredients, and for that, I go to Kowalski's. And uh, if you need a Connecticut water treatment to wash all the produce that you get at Kowalski's, definitely go to Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut water treatment. Heating, cooling, everything. Uh, we still have a long winter ahead of us here in Minnesota. I was looking at my ring doorbell the other day, and my uh, driveway needs to be uh, salted, Anthony, so you can come over and do that. It's a giant sheet of ice. And I might be a hockey writer, but I don't play hockey. Um, if you're like me and like your home to stay warm and comfy all winter long, we'll get a company you can trust. Aquarius Home Services has the team and knowledge to keep your home warm and cozy through the cold winter months. If you're having concerns with your furnace and are thinking about replacements, my friends over at Aquarius Home Services offer free in-home estimates, and for a limited time, they are offering a new furnace for as low as $55 per month. Their 100% performance guarantee is backed by the best material, product, and labor warranties in the business. Contact Aquarius today for your free in-home estimate. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com, and don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Hey, did I tell you about the... The special dinner you can come and have with us, I was just thinking about it as I thought about the red wine reduction sauce I put over the steaks. You know, I stole that idea from the chef at Baltimore. And we're going to do a dinner at Baltimore where I'm going to go in and be the guest chef oh, no, for I didn't a night. This. Yeah, coming up on March 9th. It's, it's going to be a great night. It's an eight-course dinner, includes wine and cocktails. And... I'm going to jump in in the kitchen with these guys all day and, and prep all the food, some of our favorites that, that we make at our house. And then it's, we're going to raise some money for the Minnesota Wild Foundation. So it's a, a charitable deal. But it's on March 9th at Baltimore and Roseville. I think they're selling either 25 or 30 seats. But check it out. Go to the Baltimore website, and, and you can sign up there. But it's some of the great meals that we've had at our house, some of our favorites, and it ends with the ribeye caps that are, are my favorite cut of steak. So we're going to have some spinalis cuts on top with this red wine reduction sauce. I met with Chef Steve 
to go through some menu ideas and stuff. Margo and I had to go to a wine tasting last Friday to come up with the right wine pairings for had it. Had to. It had to. It's uh, Sean was there with us to go through to decide the different kinds of wine we want to have. It's going to be a great night, and I'm sure you'll sign up for this. Because uh, March 9th. Let's March see. 9th. Am I in town? Let's see. You should be. Either that or reschedule. You fl- you got time to reschedule flights. Oh you should see. I've had to reschedule so many things. I guess between the wild and just my national duties, I have so many uh, different things. So I tell you that I went down to uh, Orlando and surprised my nephews and my mom for. Uh, you rode a roller coaster. Yeah, you said. Yeah, like five of them. Um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I'm in town March 9th. I'll be there. All right. All right. Um, so, uh, and by the way, I haven't even mentioned January 25th is our next live show at Split Rocks. January 25th at Split Rocks. And then we have a bunch of shows that you can put on the calendar now. Um, February uh, 20th and March 6th at Tuttle's in Hopkins. And then uh, February 16th, February 27th. March 16th and March 24th. Are all now, I know Split because Rock. you are convinced that jinxes are real. This means January 25th has just become an 80% chance of a blizzard. No doubt. And uh, it's sure, it better not be. I don't know if we have too many extra spit. <laughs> you and I are right now, our Februarys and March are pretty much like either games, traveling, or podcasts. So, uh, all right, let's get going. Amir uh, asked, you mentioned with Joe yesterday that you're, uh, you, you think Greenway would be traded. Uh, what teams do you think would register interest, and what do you think the Wild could expect in return? I think if you're going to do that deal, that might be what Anthony was talking about before, where maybe you could try to get the D in the coinciding move um, with Dumba. Um, you know, teams would be interested. You know, it depends. I think most people, because he's under contract and still 25 years old, if they'd be interested, it doesn't have to be a team that's going to make the playoffs and, and uh, look at him as, you know, obviously he's not a rental. And there are a lot of people in hockey that have a great affinity for Greenway. Um, and, you know, two of the coaches I know that love him are Don Granado and, and David Quinn, San Jose and Buffalo. Now, whether or not that amounts to some, you know, their GMs having interest in my career or Kevin Adams, uh, who knows? But those are two teams. If I was Bill Guerin and wanted to move Greenway, I'd start with. Yeah, I, I don't even have a guess. I haven't looked at anybody's roster or anything. I haven't looked at what defensemen might be coming the other way. But all I will say is that Jordan Greenway would command some interest on the trade market. Because whatever you say, everybody knows what that line meant to Minnesota last year and how big a part of it he was. And they all look at his body and his skating ability and say, this guy could be a handful for a long time and he's on a team-friendly contract. He would be, there would be some interest and he would bring some value. Uh, CJ Hockey Guy asked Bedard, Curious is both your thoughts as to who would be the best team for him to end up on. Is it someone who's halfway through a rebuild and he can be the final piece, someone who's just starting uh, their rebuild and someone to boost uh, league viewership? That's a good question. I mean, you know, it would, I mean, you put him on a, on a, a team that has, uh, you know, sh- like, like uh, I'm trying to think, like a Vancouver who's not far away. Um, you know, who's got really quality players, that would be well, sort of what of you're saying Well, of the teams there. that are realistic possibilities for him to land, Columbus yeah. is probably yeah. the best spot in terms of how quickly they could contend. Yeah, because, and Yeah, they just added Johnny Gaudreau. They've had some injuries this year that have set them back, but they had, I think it was three number one picks in last year's draft. I think they have three, maybe it's two this year, but they had three a year ago. And a couple of first-round picks the year before that that already played in the NHL. Sillinger looks like he's going to be a a legit player. So of the teams that are legit candidates, they're the closest, I would say. And 
I don't know that that's where he'd want to yeah. land, but I'd, I'd say those teams. But the truth is, wherever he goes, he's going to make an impact and he's going to be a difference maker. Anaheim might be looking at their roster saying, we've got some other good young players, guys like Trevor Zegras, Jamie Drysdale. These are guys they think that they're poised to build, but they look to me like they might be five players away yeah. from contending. I just had this flashback to sitting on a couch at Jeff Rummer's house, the Columbus Blue Jackets play-by-play guy when he was the Florida Panthers play-by-play so guy. So you covered the Panthers? Yeah. And to my left on this couch was Mike Sillinger, and on the other couch was Len Berry. So Mike Sillinger's son's now in the league. Len Berry's son is Tyson Berry, plays for the Oilers. Tyson was on the floor playing, like, jungle gym stuff. It was hilarious. Um, and anyway, so Sillinger, while we're sitting there, actually got traded. And then somebody from the arena, 835-7000, I think was the number that kept on popping on Len Berry's phone, um, kept on playing a practical joke and calling Len Berry constantly. And every single time he thought that it was like that he was getting traded. And it turned out that Sillinger was traded right next to me. That was an easy uh, conversation, by the way. I got the exclusive interview of Mike Sillinger being traded because he was sitting two feet from me on the couch when he was. Um, all right, for yes, uh, the Wild have been winning uh, with less exciting but for more structured formulas here. Don't disagree. Um, Vegas, Dallas, Winnipeg are all good but have flaws, and the Avs and Blues are still struggling. Has this year is this year a clearer path out of the West for the Wild? You and I talked about this a little bit, but but you know I I do think so. Don't you? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think the West is there for the taking, and I don't mean that to say that I think Minnesota is going to win the West, but I'm just saying I don't think the teams that are at the top right now are different from those around them. Dallas and Winnipeg, Dallas I think is legit. Winnipeg I still think is a little bit of a smoke and mirrors situation. I don't think they're ready to to be a playoff contender right now. I think they're going to probably make the playoffs because of the start they've had. But look at the, they all have flaws. Vegas is not, they're not explosive up front. They're not dangerous up front. Their goaltender is inexperienced, although I like him, but he's, he's not a guy who's been proven. Calgary can't score. Edmonton can't defend. Los Angeles <laughs> can't defend. You look in the, in the Central Division and all the team, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, all of these other contenders, they all, none of them are blow you away complete clubs like what we saw from Colorado a year ago. So yes, I think the West is, is a wide open deal. Yeah. Kyler, we haven't really talked about this. Kyler asked, can you talk about just how fantastic Gus is playing big saves, but he doesn't calmly reminds me of Baxter and pleasant surprise, a huge surprise. Uh, absolutely. Huge surprise since November 29th, he's number one in the league in save percentage and goals against average. And there was a time early where I felt like they were shielding him a little bit, picking his opponents, picking the Knights to throw him in there. And, and I, they were. Yeah, but not anymore. But now he got himself he – he's become a, a very trusted part of this. I had a couple of people ask me yesterday about if they thought Gustafson had played well enough to save some wear and tear on Marc-Andre Fleury. And – I don't think that's the motivation for the Wild at all. And I, I really do trust Dean when he says, we look at each night, who do we like tonight? And the fact that they've been playing every other night, I don't think has been by design. I think it's just been, we had to travel, let's throw Gus in there. He looked good last time, let's give him a start. Yep. And and I, as I said earlier in the show, 
the winometer deserved a winometer said 94% for the Capitals last night, and yet Minnesota won the game. Amir asks again, uh, I recently spoke with Brock Faber for a story, and I was really awestruck by his level of maturity and humility. I'd agree with that. Do you expect him to be on the Wilds roster right away after his college season is over? Do you uh, think he'll require some time in Iowa? I think he'll be on the Wild roster this year. Now, coming out of camp next year, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he winds up in Iowa. It's a different situation. Um, you know, next year compared to this year and, and the way things are going. But, but uh, look, if he impresses, you know, th- then you can at least pencil him in potentially next year if there's room. Um, Matty Ice asks, assuming the Wild want Gus back, which I'm guessing they do, of course, um, what does that mean for Jesper Wallstadt? Assuming Flurry doesn't retire or get traded, would he spend a second year in Iowa and mix in with the two current goalies? He'd spend a second year in Iowa. Um, Basket of Adorable asks, the Eck line looked lost with, while Greenway was out of the lineup. They didn't get their swagger back until he returned from injury. Are they willing to turn a dominant line into just a grinding line by trading away um, Greenway? Um, I, I mean, I guess that's the biggest risk about trading him is that line is so effective together. But I, I don't think that they're turning a dominant line into a grinding line just by trading Greenway. I mean, you put Duhame there, Duhame scores more than Greenway. Um, you know, the question is, can he defend as well and, and things like that? Can he um, not take bad penalties? You know, things like that. But I think that they look at him as, you know, the body type, the way he skates, all that as being a potential placeholder if you were going to trade him there. Yeah, but the point, the point of the question, I think, is valid. And we've talked about this for two years. You take any one of those three guys off that line mm-hmm. and it's just not been as effective. That doesn't mean that those three guys are irreplaceable parts. So I do think... It's, it's a valid question, but I don't think it would prohibit trading any one of them because it, as good as the line is, it's not like you're talking about the mm-hmm. French connection or anything. Yeah. I mean, we're, not, we're, not, we're not talking about the perfection line here. It's we're, not the triple crown we're, line, Dion right, and right. Zimmer. I mean, these guys have been really good, but we're not talking about three guys headed for the Hall of Fame. So I think that if you pull, let's say you did trade Greenway or you pulled Greenway off the line and you replaced him with Duhame. Maybe in three weeks you find out that those three guys can be good together as well. I think right now you for sure are looking at a line that can change games as they did against the Capitals. But it isn't a line that is indestructible. Yeah. So I, All right, let's we'll run through a couple others and we'll uh, wrap up the show. Uh, some really good ones here. Nick asks, uh, where does Goudreau fit into the lineup if the Wild acquire a top six forward? I understand why Dean loves him, but Goudreau is a uh, top six center on a contender and with Eck uh, signed long term, I don't see where he fits uh, when the Wild will be uh, will out uh, with the top six. I mean, they're going to re-sign him. You know, it's just a matter of where you put them. I mean, you could continue them with Boldy if you go get a winger there and move Hartman on another line, especially if they trade uh, Greenway. Um, you know, you can move Steele down, uh, things like that. But they're going to – I got to think he's going to sign a team-friendly deal. I don't know why you would leave a situation when you have a coach that, that has such an utmost respect for you. Uh, Chris asks, do you, see, do you think Sam Steele will use his arbitration rights or has he given any indications he'd like to stick around on a team-friendly amount? I mean, they haven't started talking to him yet. Um, but uh, I think that they'll talk to him and try to sign him. You know, with arbitration, you could also say, hey, we're not giving you a qualifying offer and then almost make it like he's going to become a free agent, but then try to re-sign him to a different type of deal. Um, Let's see. Um, We talked to Gustafson and Fleury. Uh, Here's a good one, uh, Anthony. Um, Mitch S., 
Um, seems like you guys typically take a cool tour of D.C. Did you do anything special there this time? Well, I know you did because I watched you get your Lime scooter. Uh, I did. Uh, at like 10-something at night. So we after dinner and then stopped at our favorite place, Off the Record, to have a cocktail. The place is called Off the Record. We're not right. saying it's Off the Record. Yeah, our meeting was Off the Record for sure. Yeah. But it, it, we went to Off the Record, had a cocktail. It's and in the basement of the Hay Adams. I love seeing the monuments at night in D.C. So I did grab a scooter. I scootered about three blocks, found a bike. So then I dumped my scooter, grabbed a bike, and went riding around and saw the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, the war memorials that are down there. And we did not go see a museum. It, we were, it was tight for time this year. Yeah. For me, it was tight. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we didn't get into our hotel till 5 o'clock the night before the game. So yeah. by the time we got in and got a workout in and yeah. all that. But So I did. I rode bikes around for a while. And and uh, it was a little chillier than I thought. Yeah. And w by the time I was riding home, my hands were frozen. Well, on even my in bicycle. the you know, even like I was down in Florida in Orlando, and it was in the 30s and 40s there. Like uh, this is by far the best weather, other than the gusts of wind. Um, yeah, it was incredibly windy. <laughs> uh, but this is by far the best winter, weather I've had on the trip between Toronto, Buffalo, New York City. Uh, even Orlando's 30s, 40s. What museum did you see? I went to the Holocaust uh, oh, Memorial. So I haven't I wouldn't seen say, that I wouldn't yet. say it was a cool tour of D.C. Oh, my God. I've I think heard every, it's amazing, and oh, I, just, yeah, I, I haven't I, been it there It should yet. be required uh, attendance by everybody to go to the Holocaust Memorial. It is, it, um, it is, we've seen some incredible, on our European yeah. tours, You know, we went and saw Dachau, yeah. and, and we were in... Uh, when we were in Budapest this the summer, Jewish we saw the exactly, and, and in Prague as well. There were, we've seen some incredible things that are that you really have to see to believe yeah. that it actually happened. Yeah. And I, I want to go see that museum. We've seen it's, some good ones there, but I haven't been to that it's one. It's grippy. It's like one of those places where you're there for like two, three hours, and nobody says a word. Like, hmm. and it's packed, but nobody even. Uh, talks it's it's just crazy and then i uh, went to the old epic grill uh, uh went out with uh, my my buddy's nephew uh who's gonna be uh we're gonna call him dr kyle one day all right uh dave uh says um and yeah and you came to dinner with it all that right. too so that was fun all right dave says back in the day there was a guy that sat behind the net to determine goals a red light now it's is it the ref's discretion um so basically, actually, the way it works is that essentially it's a ceremonial position. Those video, those goal judges, actually, that turn their light on, red and off and on, actually now what they do is they sit upstairs in the press box. So they're even with the goal line, but, or maybe they're above the rafters in some buildings, but they are not behind the net anymore. So it's more of a ceremonial thing for the fans to turn the light on, but they have no... Um, they, they don't determine a goal at all. Everything is just video review. and, and No, like and what's so, we've had a couple things that popped to mind with this. One is they turned on the red light and blew the horn. I think it was in New York against yeah. the Rangers, yep. it and, well. and it turned out that it was not a goal. But the other thing Islanders, is... Islanders, right? Or, or was it I Rangers? I think it was the Rangers game. Okay. And I, it was one of the two on that trip, but I think it was the Ranger game, and... But the other thing that I remember the time, and when I was covering a lot of high school games, it used to happen a lot, but it, it would, where the referee would skate over and he would discuss with the goal judge whether or not the puck was in. 
And the NHL, it used to happen as well before there was video review. They would, the red light would go on, the referee would skate over there, and they'd have a discussion about what they saw. Mm. And I remember some high school games, <laughs> this is going back, well, probably 30 years now, but where the goal judge would flip the light on, the referee would skate over, and you'd think, this guy sitting on a stool behind the net is now impacting which team goes to the state high school hockey yeah. tournament and in a discussion with the referee. But I remember in the NHL that happening too. The refs would skate over there like that little the camera circle that they have now. They'd open up, they'd either talk through that or open the door, and these two guys would have a discussion about whether or not the puck yeah, went in the net. crazy when you think about it. A um, couple more. TJ says, do you think uh, Mason Shaw's performance post-suspension is him being timid because of the suspension. He just seemed like a different player when he came back. I, um, I don't know if I totally – I don't even remember. I mean, he's been scratched for so many games now. I actually feel bad for him. I saw him in the locker room yesterday. Um, I, I don't think – I think he would have been an odd guy out anyway. I think he was uh, yeah. poised to be the, the odd man out, and unless there's an injury and a checking line role, he will continue yeah. to be the odd man out. Um, all right, two, last two. Uh, Washington, C.F. Kane asks, uh, how much lifting do NHL players do during the season to keep up their strength? Uh, they lift. I mean, and the one thing that I'm always just fascinated by is after games when they uh, when they – um, you know, have all just played 60 minutes of hockey. Some of the guys, 22, 23 minutes a night. Immediately, they're they're geared down and they're in the hallway. Like last night, we're out there and and Reeves is doing all this core work and Flurry's out there and Gus is out there and you know they, it, it's amazing how many how much hockey players just even after a game go and work out. Everybody's different, and I've talked to guys a lot about this because I'm always intrigued by how they take care of their bodies, and some of them do just to maintain. And some of them, some of them are off days only. Last night was a little bit different because they had canceled practice today, so nobody was going to be going to the rink. Mm -hmm. So they were going to have treatment and stretch and massage and, and things set up at the team hotel. But the guys knew they weren't going to get a lift in today. So that's why everybody was lifting last mm -hmm. night, where sometimes it's just a few guys that they believe in stretching and lifting right after the game. But I remember talking to guys and they do their hard lifting during the summer, and then it's all about just trying to maintain. Like I remember talking to Charlie Coyle, and he said, I try to work out every day, even game days, just because it makes I feel like I'm more in my rhythm, but obviously I don't want to overdo it where I'm sore. And you can't. You can't push yourself to lift to soreness and be ready to play the next night. So he's, for him, it was all about maintaining, and he just – he always used the term, like, it just makes me feel tight if I have done a good workout. So he would work out after games every night because he didn't want to work out on the off day and then feel sore the next game. But everybody's a little different. Yeah. Remember 07, like, there was a famous Jacques Lemaire uh, thing that he talked about openly in the postgame press conferences. James Shepard, after a game, was, like, sitting down on the carpet watching TV, eating an ice cream cone. And... At the same time, Wes Walls, after playing like 20-something minutes, was like running on the treadmill. And Lemaire saw this like when he went to the bathroom before his postgame and was perturbed by it and goes in and talks to Mario and Mike Ramsey <laughs> and says to him, like he starts, you know, just ranting about James Shepard. And finally he's like, I have to say something. And he like runs out there and he like right in front of walls just screamed at Shepard. He's like, look at this guy, this veteran. You're eating your ice cream cone and all that. So, all right, last question. Matt Neppel, and maybe there's a story behind this that I don't know. He wants to know if Anthony is jealous that Roy Smalley is cooking with Andrew Zimmern. Do you know this story? Like, what is this? 
I don't know the story. Okay. I did see a, somebody sent me a tweet about it, and apparently it was a like a cook in the kitchen thing. And I just I, the only reason I saw it was because they sent it to me, and I responded with it's among the many reasons why I'm jealous of Roy Smalley. But it's it's it looked like a cool deal. I don't really know any of the details about it, but um, I'm content with the uh, with the cooking in my kitchen. I like doing it myself. I'd love to have one of these guys. We've for years people have been saying, hey, let's have some kind of cook off with you and Gavin Kaysen, and who does a lot of the cooking for the wild still to this day, I believe, with some of the guys. And I've always said, yep, and we've we've never gotten it done, but it would be fun to cook together with those guys. Yeah, it definitely would be. Um, now that. Roy Smalley has a great head of hair. You wouldn't see him at Sport Clips in Raleigh. No, I can guarantee you that. So that's where you and Felino went with Sports Clips. Yes, it was because it was. I, I'm. I've gotten my hair. So impressive. Felino went to Sports Clips. Well, I've gotten my. So I've gotten my haircut at one of two barber shops, either the Razor's Edge or Cope's Barber Shop, for 35 years. Other than about a one-year spot when Margo and I had just gotten married, we lived in this little apartment, and she was like, hey, how about we go into this little salon and see if anybody can do anything with your hair? And But other than that, and it's been Cope's exclusively since the Razor's Edge guy, Cecil, moved to Park Rapids and took his barber chair with him and shut down. So in fact, this morning, when I said I got to get a haircut because I'm going to be on the road another week and I get my haircut about every two and a half weeks because it grows like a chip. It just grows straight up. Must be nice. So I was walking around and I, I saw sports clips and I was like, I, I just, I need a haircut. And I walk in and Felino's sitting on the chair in there. So I, I just said, hey, just make me look like him. It'll be perfect. Did you get the hot towel treatment? I did. I got nice. a hot towel on my face and Massaging. they got the little like machine massage thing on my shoulders. Yeah, and that's awesome. All right, cool. Well, January 25th is our next live show at Split Rocks. Hopefully everybody comes. July 8th to the 19th, we're going to Sicily. Hopefully everybody comes. You go to defineddestinations.com. Um, it's supposed to be out uh, live on the website around 7 p.m. tonight. So defineddestinations.com, and hopefully you'll join Anthony and me in uh, Sicily and Rome. That'll be incredible. Thanks to all our sponsors, sponsors, of course, all the Tuttles, restaurants, and Grain Belt, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, Moe's Tavern, Bosch Law Firm, Kowalski's, and Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut water treatments. Talk to everybody next week, January 25th at Split Rocks. So much coming out, there's nothing growing in I know that you feel like you're never gonna win Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner I don't know what's in those Bloody Marys.